Welcome to the Perfet Podcast, a virtual space for celebrating life's real inspirations. From milestones and parenting to work and wellness, we've got you covered. Now sit back, grab a drink, and have a seat at our table. Hi guys, welcome back to the Perfet Podcast. I know, I know, it's been a while, but I promise it's been a while for a good reason. I think one of the things that people forget to mention when you say effort and launch that stuff is that sometimes you might have to take a step back and fine-tune the process. And that's exactly what I'm doing right now. I'm fine-tuning, okay? I've been talking to some really amazing people and I can't wait to share their stories with you. The main goal of the Perfect Podcast is for us to have tangible takeaways for everything that happens in our everyday life. Right now, I'm focusing on, you know, the vision and executing your plans and dreams in life. That's what this first series is going to be about. And that's why I was really excited to speak with today's guest, a truly perfect woman. (laughs) Ha ha, I had to throw it in, but I'm serious. Tosin Dorotoye is the founder of The Bloom Africa. It's a safe space for women to talk about the female experience, whether it's in personal lives, professional lives, and everything. She's all about seeing women bloom, for lack of a better word. And what you will hear as the general tone of this conversation we're going to have is that Tosin's very passionate about empowering women and empowering young girls. She's also very great at listening to the voice in her head, finding her purpose and navigating her clarity as to how to proceed. This is stuff that I always look for because I sometimes struggle with finding what my purpose is, you know, and I struggle with clarity a lot. So it was really important for me to hear from Tosin Like, you know, when you're just listening to somebody and you're almost snapping your fingers because you feel like you're in deaf poetry jam. She was just spitting fire. There's so many nuggets here. So you need to sit back and maybe even get a notepad. Yes, I'm dramatic, but I'm serious. She does a really great job about breaking everything down through her journey and everything in between. You might not even hear my voice at all in this episode because I was just listening and taking my notes. She's great. And I'm excited for all of you to experience this together. So without any more blah, 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 let me just leave you to it. Here is Tosin Durotoye, the perfect woman. Hi, Tosin. Hi, Kubi. Oh my gosh, I'm super blushing right now. I don't even know if like, <laughs> I don't know how accurate like everything is. I think it is, but yeah. is. I don't get to, I don't get to hear it often. So I'm just like, okay, who is I that? Didn't even do you justice. There's just so much that you have going on. I was like, on. who's that girl? Who is she? Me? Oh. So... <laughs> And actually, thank you for stopping by. I know that, like I said, you have just so much going on. So I'm really happy that you're, you know, blessing us here. And I want you to introduce wow. yourself, please. Just tell us a bit about your background and, you know, who's Tosin? Who is Tosin? This is like one of those like super tricky interview questions. You know, whenever you go for an interview and they say, tell me about yourself. And all of a sudden you don't know who you are anymore. That's how I feel right now. <laughs> like, who is, who is Tosin? I don't know. I'm just. I'm a girl. I'm trying to live my best life. I do things that I care about. I'm passionate about many things, but I seem to have found my purpose and my calling in the space that women occupy, women and young girls. And so that's really my platform and what I spend quite a lot of time thinking about. So my journey has been very interesting, actually, because um, I kind of share it often in different ways on my Instagram platform, but, you know, it's been a very, very interesting journey in the sense that the older I get, the more I just realize that life is not 
you know, it's not a straight line. It takes you through many different corners. You take a lot of U-turns. You go up, you go down. And so for me, I, you know, I've always sort of had a great passion where public service is involved. And so even since high school, I started teaching at the Red Cross. I was like a teacher's assistant. And then I started to teach my own classes. Yeah. So I saw that you were an instructor. I was an instructor. And that was like my longest lasting side hustle slash sort of passion area that I pursued for 18 years. Oh, thereabouts. No, I think it, yeah, it was something like that. But in any case, I, I did that for quite a while. And then I went to uh, college where I continued to do that, but in tandem with other things. Sorry, Tosin, you went to college in America, obviously. You've been here. I did. For- I did. I did. I went to, I, I lived for over two decades in the US. And so I went to Wake Forest University, Lehman Deacon. That's no one, no one knows where that is sometimes, but it's in North Carolina and um, it's an amazing small private college. Maybe, you know, you might know us from things like basketball. Maybe if you know Tim oh, Duncan or Chris Paul. I, yeah. I definitely and know me, Wake Forest. Yes, yes. Jayhawk and Canada's I was going to say. Okay. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> we do know. <laughs> That's what I know Wake Forest for. Uh, I definitely Yeah. Do. So we've had um, a great sports history. And so then from there, I, so I studied uh, political science, my second major. Actually, it, was, it became a minor because I was one class away from becoming, for it becoming a major, but I studied studio art. So my oh. focus there was on oil on canvas. And I really love painting. People don't realize that, but people know that I collect art now, but I actually also, you know, I paint. <laughs> I did not but, know that. That's interesting. And it also explains your creative eye in general, because your pages just, are always well curated. Everything. Oh, thank you. Oh, wow. I did not Yeah, don't go, don't go art. looking now, because y'all might be disappointed. Kubi is really making me feel like really special right now. But I feel okay. like the listeners might be like, I mean, it's all right. You know what I mean? It's all okay. I'm going to drop all <laughs> the links to Tosin's pages, and then you guys can be the judge, because I know... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a lot coming from you. Humble right now. That's a lot coming from you. Thank you. Yeah, because I think you're like sort of the hot shot around like making things look good and curating amazing pages. I mean, I really love I love the rebranding of the platform. I just I love everything that you share. So thank you. That's a a huge compliment coming coming from you. Um, this was not supposed to be a Kumbi. I know. I know. It's, it's, it's like a wash competition now. It's I know. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> compliment me. I can compliment you more. I love that. I think all women should engage in that exercise at least once a week. See if you can, you know, out compliment one of your friends. So yeah. So Wake Forest was a was uh, you know, great. I made a lot of lifelong friends there. I pledged Delta Sigma Theta, which is probably where sort of my understanding of sisterhood, you know, I have a sister, by that the way. Makes sense. But there's a difference between sort of the your blood sister who you know and in this case she's my little sister and so you know that love that love is inbuilt you know there's Mm -hmm. nothing that's ever gonna shake that but then learning how to be a sister to your friends how to love your friends how to be there for them and support them through their um, ups and downs was something that I really do credit Delta for teaching me um, at such a young age because at the time that Mm -hmm. I pledged I was maybe 18. So I learned a lot from that experience. And I always tell folks because I think 
it, depending on who you speak to, if you don't go to the school in the U.S., you might be like, "What? What's that? What's a sorority?" Yeah, you know, I always say, care. first of all, it's not a cult because uh, I know our, our African <laughs> brethren are always, they're always like, "Oh, you yes. know, what's that? What, what are they doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, what are they doing in there? That is a secret. It must be a cult. No, it's not. It's um, uh, it's based on Christian principles. We are a public service organization. Our uh, women, all women, um, and really are we're in existence really to drive the principles of sisterhood and public service, like I said earlier, meant to just give back to our communities. And so naturally I was drawn to that. And so that was really one of the game changers for me along the way. And then after that, I went to, I moved to New York city, which I think everyone should do at least once in their life is live in New York. Yeah. And maybe Lagos. I think that depending on how sort of adventurous you are, (laughs) <laughs> you know, Lagos, Lagos might be a, 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 a swing, but I used to always say, well, people used to say, or people still say, you know, if you live in New York, then you can live anywhere. But I've come to find out that it's actually Lagos. Lagos is where, if you can <laughs> live in Lagos, <laughs> you can live. Lagos is That's New York on steroids. I'm grateful for the New York experience because it prepped me uh, for sort of where I am now and who I grew up to become. I went to grad school there, so mm-hmm. I attended NYU, specifically the Wagner School of Public Service. And so you're starting to see maybe like a bit of a, trend here for me. Yep. So School of Public Service there. I studied urban planning with a focus on housing. And yeah, people are always like, what is urban planning? You know, and I find it very interesting because it's one of those fields or industries that's kind of small, relatively speaking, you know. And so what do we do? We plan cities, we work with the architects, the engineers, the developers, and we basically sort out what the plan is for a city. So we look at the big picture, where the school should go, where the housing should go, where the roads might go, things like that. And so it was something that I was really, really like just passionate obsessed about. with and passionate mm-hmm. about. And I still am about the development of cities and um, economic development and community development. And so, yeah, I did New York for about two and a half years or so. It was great. Then after that, I went to D.C., where I worked for a consulting firm, then closely followed by basically, I would say the U.S. government. I was, you know, managing a bunch of government grants. I did that for almost a decade and it was, it was amazing. I learned so much. And again, because the organization that I ended up working for was focused as the biggest community development NGO in the U.S. and the only one established by Congress, it was a wonderful lab and space for me to really see what works on a larger scale, you know, in terms of impact work. And so that really was where I put a bulk of my career for for many, many years. And then at some point I hit a ceiling. And I think, you know, for someone like myself, I've always challenged myself to do things that are outside of my comfort zone. I like to stretch myself. Mm -hmm. I like to try new things. I like to learn new things. And so you know, I think after eight years or so at this job, I just, I realized that I think I've actually learned a lot of good things, but I think it might be time for me to kind of go to the next thing. Now, where it got interesting for me was that this was also around the time that Trump got into office. So again, we're not going to make this a whole political podcast. That's not what this is, but just know that I woke up and I was like, I'm out. Yeah, it was pretty much like that. I was like, you know, there's just, there's really no need. It's, it's time, you know, you're not a tree, you can move. And so at first I had this like romantic view. I had a romantic idea, like maybe I could be like Josephine Baker and move mm-hmm. to Paris and just like, I don't know, just pursue something like creative and love and life. And 
just become this French woman. I really had it. It was like really, it was so like, I was so into this idea. You wouldn't believe it. I was plotting and planning and everything. I was looking mm-hmm. at like what kind of visas I could get, what kind of work permits. I really was into this. And then one day it was sort of like super magical and confusing at the same time. I woke up and I was like, Paris, well, why don't you just go back to Nigeria where you actually like could just go? And I thought, and in my mind, I was like, who said that? Because it was the wildest idea that could have ever crept in my mind. I, I remember coming to Nigeria every Christmas for many years and I would tell my parents, I cannot live here. The traffic <laughs> is too much. It's too hectic. It's hot. It's like, I just, I had my list of complaints for so long and I just thought, no, 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 there's no way. And so when this idea popped into my mind, I thought this is really wild, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and so then, but it wouldn't leave. It was sort of like just this incessant, incessant like idea that just kind of hung over my head about how you should really go back home and think about what you can do there. And if you're looking for adventure, where else could you go? But Lagos, like, stop playing, you know, be real. And I just was like, nah, nah. And then I started talking to people around me, my family, my friends. And really what I was hoping was that someone would talk you out. Tell me that, yeah, they would say that it was a crazy idea. I really desperately wanted someone to be like, that is the craziest idea. You're going to leave your good job to go to Nigeria to do what you don't even know. And so I just, I really wanted to, to hear that. But then surprise, no one said anything. Everyone was like, this is great. Not only did they not challenge me, they were encouraging me. They were like, this is actually an amazing idea. My parents, who I thought were going to be like, oh no, this this is not good. They were like, no, no, no. Perfect timing. You should go and see what it is. And if you don't like it, you can always come back. But this is a great time. I know that, I mean, it'd be your own family, you know? (laughs) So I I was just like, yeah, it was really crazy. And um, and wow. then I, I, I started to think about it. And I thought, okay, I don't know why I'm being drawn back to my home country, but I'll start the process. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, then it wasn't meant to be. So I kind of had this very, you know, hands-off approach, mm-hmm. just kind of doing a little bit here and there, but not really fully committing. And so then there was a year when I took off time from work and instead of just staying in DC where I was living at the time, I decided to go to Nigeria. Um, this was in 2015? Be, yeah, this was in 2015. Yeah. Oh. And I came and I thought, okay, let me just spend a few months with family and see how things work out. And I purposefully stayed past Christmas because everyone knows that Christmas is a very lit time in uh, Lagos. It's the Mm -hmm. best time. It's the best. Mm -hmm. Everyone thinks it's like the most amazing place. It is the most amazing place to be during Christmas. But then I wanted to see what the real, you know, deal was after that time of year to really try to figure out whether it's something I could do. And so Mm -hmm. I stayed about three months. And in those three months, I decided that, you know what? I'm ready for this sort of change. Like it was so extreme, kind of like pendulum swing from spending over two decades in the U.S. and then just out of the blue being like, I'm moving to Lagos. Like it was sort of extreme, at least for me. I think it's it's one of those things that takes a lot of guts. It's not even just about it being Lagos because yeah, that one is its own thing already, especially yeah. you know, that leap into such a busy environment and you know like such a high intensity environment in general but even just making that leap to move anywhere so for you to do that and just know confidently like I'm doing this this makes sense is really impressive 
Yeah, it, you are right. No, what you said is it's the leap because I mean, heck, even moving from one state to another state is enough to cause anxiety. Talk less of moving from one country to another country, mm-hmm. you know. And there were, you know, there were concerns around sort of, you know, we can get into this later, but sort of like identity and kind of how I would transition because again, I left when I was so young, and so part of me identifies as Nigerian. And that is always what I say when people ask me where I'm from, I'm Nigerian. It's never changed. But there was also this reality of, you know, whenever I did visit feeling like, okay, but, you know, my Americanness also is very like pronounced. And so it mm-hmm. makes you feel sort of like, where do I fit? So I didn't feel like I fit in the U.S. because that's really not, you know, where I'm from originally. But then also then going back to where I am born and where I was raised for Mm -hmm. a few years, but then also realizing that all of a sudden, you know, I'm not, you know, from here to others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was a very interesting, um, so that kind of added a layer to what I was considering. Right. And so anyway, I went back and then decided that perhaps I should resign my job of eight years, which was sort of when you know, the rubber kind of meets the road, as they say, it's like, that's when you really know that it's real is when you start quitting your job and stuff. And so I was just like, yeah, this is kind of crazy. I was like, nah, it was a great time. I love my three months, but am I really trying to quit my job over this? (laughs) Is that really what I'm trying to do? Is that what we're doing? (laughs) You know, I kept asking, I was like, toasted for real, you know, but then I just, I, I, I just said to myself, there is no better time than now. And that is because I've, you know, over the years, I've become acutely aware uh, the fact that time waits for no one, you know, and I think that for, you know, as we grow older, we can either choose to sort of be bystanders in our own lives, or we can mm-hmm. choose to be more of like active participants and actually drive our own sort of life stories. And for yeah. me, I've always been more engaged with my life um, and to say, what do I want? What do I want it to look? And so I'm sort of obsessed with crafting the life that I want, um, at least what is within my control. Not everything mm-hmm. is craftable, um, but you know, what, whatever it is that I can, I always pay attention to that. And so I thought, you know, Tosin, you said you wanted something new. You said that you wanted to shake up things and step way out of your comfort zone. You said all of these things, and now this is what's, what it's looking like. And, you know, are you yeah. going to take the leap or are you going to punk out? Well, I punked out. I punked out for a few months. So I'm not going to, it's not an inspirational. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so yeah, I'm be real. I'm gonna be real for a few months. There, I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. It's cool. I don't need all of that excitement. I'm okay. I could just stay right where I am. And so for a few months, you know, I wasn't sure what the logistics of it all would be. I wasn't sure what I would be coming here to do, you know. But then the other thing that I also always practice in my life, especially as of recent years, is that there was a book that I read called The Alchemist, which is one of my favorite books. And in that book, the author talks about how, you know, when you make a decision, the universe conspires with you to bring it to life. And so I'm very aware of the power of our thinking and setting intentions and then doing it on faith. Because then once you start to move, it's like the universe has to meet you at your point of faith. And so, yeah, where you're going. And so I wrote a resignation letter. I just wrote it. I didn't do anything with it. I wrote it and I was like, I'm setting my intention for what I want to do next. And I'm scared because I've never not had a job. I've been working since I was 16, sometimes multiple jobs just because I like money. Right. Money that I make. Uh huh. (laughs) So that's just, that's, that's keeping it real. But so this was going to be the first time where I'd actually just left 
without really knowing what was next or not really having a backup. It's just, it's not what I've ever done. And so it was a huge leap of faith, but I told myself, I said, okay, why don't you just write the resignation letter step one. and then think about it. Yeah. Step one, just think about it and then see what happens and, and see if the universe responds to you in any way. And so then I wrote the letter and, um, I filed it away and I lied to you not, I think probably less than three weeks later, I got this email from a contact, a professional contact, and uh, she was building out her team for um, this company. And she sent an email saying, I'm looking to fill the following roles. I, I responded very casually. I said, oh, this is great. Congratulations. Would have been right up my alley, but unfortunately I'm moving and, or I'm thinking of moving. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I'm not sure it would be a good fit. And she says, oh, well, we should still talk. Let's talk about what we can do. Anyway, fast forward right. and I get this job offer and they told me that I could work from anywhere in the world. What? So I was like, oh, this is wild. This is super wild. And so at that point, I realized that, okay, the universe just got super <laughs> real. Yeah, it just got super real. And clearly I'm in going in the right direction. That's just how I saw that. You know what I mean? Okay. So anyway, I I took the job. I hit send, obviously, on the resignation letter that I'd used to set intention, my intentions. And and then I moved to the to, to Nigeria after that. And uh, I was at that job for about a year and a half. And so that was from 2016, late till all of 2017. Gave you a soft landing into Nigeria. Super, like Charmin soft, like, you know, like three ply <laughs> tissue paper soft. Like I was good. And why? I was like, wow, you know, I didn't imagine it this way because honestly, when I thought about moving, like I said, I didn't know, part of my fear was that I didn't know what would be next. And so mm -hmm. having that answered for me was, I think, a way of just getting me to take that leap. And so I took the leap and like you said, it was super soft and, you know, I was able to get in here with all the creature comforts and all that stuff. I was like, this is great. But then there was a problem. And the problem was that because the job was based in the U.S., I was constantly unavailable. So I was working U.S. hours in Nigeria. And so I would work, start working from like 2 p.m. till 10 to midnight, which means that I'm not available for really lunch or dinner or just, you know, what people do after work, happy hour. I don't know. You know, I didn't have time for that. And then I would be traveling a lot. So I was probably traveling probably every six weeks or so. And I could be gone for anything from a couple of days to a couple of weeks at a time. Goodness. And so it became, yeah. So it became a thing of people asking me like, do you live here? Or, oh, wow, are you around? Like, oh, I forgot you were here. And so then I started to ask myself really important questions, which was like, okay, so why did I move again from the U.S. Mm -hmm. here? Because if I'm really actually not here, if I'm living out of a suitcase, you know, and if not even here to see what impact I can make or contributions that I can make or how I can even engage with the people around me and what's going on around me, then the question is, why am I here? I could have easily just stayed in D.C. if that's what it is, you know. And so I started to really challenge myself around sort of keeping this job. And then there were like, a couple of other complications that were coming in. And I just thought, wow, am I really meant to not keep this job? Because why, why would I have it if it was not meant to be mine? Uh -huh. You know, something that I could, you know, like the scene in Nigeria was 
forex job so you're just like this is you know no no no, no. i can't i can't drop this job you know <laughs> so, but you know, at that time when everything you know, just yeah because the recession things were really bad and the economy so i was like nah like i'm not gonna leave this job oh, that's, that's crazy yeah and so <laughs> i um i i held on for as long as i could and then at the end of 2017 i really was left with like I was at a fork in the road and it was very clear that it was sort of a situation of I'm either going to have to decide to just like move back because it just wasn't making sense what I was doing, flying back and forth, but then not really here. Like, you know, it's a different Mm -hmm. thing if where you are, maybe there's a reason why you're there. Like, oh, you know, my kids are there. I don't have kids. My husband, I don't have my husband over there. So it was just kind of like, why am I really in Nigeria if I'm not there? <laughs> you know, it just yeah, it didn't make logical. <laughs> I'm basically, yeah, I'm everywhere else but there. And so it just was like a situation of this is not, you know, and I like to make smart choices. So I was like, this doesn't feel smart anymore. But I think that I had the job for a reason. I think that it was really a way of me building the courage to to make that leap. And I think it was given to me at that time. So I saw it kind of, I started to see it more and more as like training wheels that, you know, God was trying to take off. So it was sort of like, okay, you're here now, you've gotten, you know, settled in, you know, your way around, you know, you you sort of now go, yeah, now go, Mm -hmm. you know? And it was like, whoa, this is not what it was supposed to be, but then it had to be. And so I made this crazy decision and I, I resigned. I resigned in late 2017. So what I was even trying to avoid from the U.S., I was still there, which was like this idea of not having anything like planned for the next step. But for some reason, I felt like I, you know, at that point I had gotten to to a place where I felt like, I mean, it's either I do it or I don't, you know, there was no sort of, yeah. So I just, I did it. And so I quit and I have to tell you, it was really scary because that was the first time that I have been in a situation where there was really no safety net per se. Right. And so obviously I had, you know, so I'm going to say that anyone that's going to quit their job, you should definitely do it in a way where you save um, as much as you can. And so I'm I'm definitely not going to say that, Oh, I just quit. And it was just like, yeah, I I didn't plan it. You know, I I was even going to to just stop you there even because that's, I feel like, especially as, a lot of us are in our late twenties, mm-hmm. early thirties, or even period, you know, in general, the thirties where you're making all these huge career decisions. Everybody always has that moment where, you know, you either stop or like, you know, take the leap and quit because you know, you're not mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. You're fulfilled by or what you're meant to be doing. But then it's always all those fears at the same time. So I'm glad you said that about yes. you know, making an educated move especially when it comes to finances, because, you know, you just, you know, sometimes the spirit just moves you and you're like, okay, no, I need to stop this job. I can't deal. <laughs> like, I, this is not what I want to be doing. But then I, for instance, always just feel like it's best to have some kind of money saved up. So there's that where you can mm-hmm. at least think clearly without having yeah, Exactly, money. without the pressure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm glad you said that because that's okay. So that's what happened then. Like you had saved and decided that yes. it was, you know. Yes. So I did. And I decided that the time was now. Yeah. So I did that. And then for the next three months, I would wake up um, with full on panic attacks. It was really funny. Like, so (laughs) like, so for like the early part of 2018, I was like, you know what? Okay. So let me step back a little bit. And so part of where all of this probably stems from, like from the very beginning was that I read a book called the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. 
So that book is one of the books. So I've named two books already, The Alchemist, yeah. and I'm now telling you about The 4-Hour Work. Four hour that work. book was life-changing for me because I read it and now there were many points made in the book, but one of the points that really stuck with me, the way I found out about the book was that I travel a lot and I do a lot of solo traveling. And so I was in Cuba, mm-hmm. I was there by myself, didn't speak a lick of Spanish, but I'm in Cuba myself and I end up meeting these two guys that we were staying in the same hotel. And so one was German, one was French. And we were just, you know, like getting to know each other and hanging out because all of us traveled solo there. And so we were like, oh, let's just all hang out. And so one of them was telling me about how he had quit his job in Germany and decided to travel the world for two years. And um, then the other guy said, yeah, I just got into an MBA program in France, but I deferred it to travel the world for one year. And then as they started talking, they both were, they both realized that they had both read this book called the four hour work week. And that was what had like pushed them to make these decisions. And so I was like, whoa, 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 what is this book about? Right. I was like, oh, exactly. And so they were all like the four hour work, they both were like the four hour work week. So I was like, okay, so I got to go read it. So I got the book. I read it and there were lots of really, really great sort of life lessons and advice from Tim Ferriss, who's like a serial entrepreneur and all of these other amazing things, author. And one of the things that he talked about was this idea of like mini retirements and how this I'm idea of your, yes, I mean, this is something I talk, I talk about this piece all the time to anyone that will listen. And so now that I have your listeners ears, I'm just going to say it again. <laughs> yeah. So, what? so. <laughs> So this mini retirement thing is like a like it's something that I really want to spread and I hope that other people will like try it if you can. And it's this idea that we spend all of our lives working so hard with this promise that at the end of this tunnel somewhere is going to be this retirement and we'll take the retirement, we'll get to finally enjoy our our lives and all the money we've worked hard for and you know just do the things that we've put up for put off for so long. That's what we're all going to do with our retirement. And he questions that, you know, he talks about how, you know, not to be morbid, but how do you even know that you're going to live to see a retirement? How do you know that you're going to be healthy enough? How do you know that the money that you save will still be there? You know, how about if there's another stock market crash or whatever, you know, so many things can take away that dream of retirement that we have sort of all kind of fixated on as a, as like a society, you know, in, you know, in anywhere in the world. And so he talks about how instead of waiting for this big retirement that you can't even guarantee for yourself, that you should probably think about how you can take many retirements in between instead. And so how we should, you know, when you're working, I love it. It's like, it stuck to me. And that's why these guys that I met in Cuba were doing what they were doing because they had read this and they were now subscribing to this gospel of mini retirements. And so, and you know, there are a couple of things in the book that I picked up on, but you know, there was something about how like, you know, your jobs could be a means to an end. So you take your jobs, you work them, you're really good at what you do, but you're saving up so that you can basically like quit. You know, you're, 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 you're building a runway so you can take six months off, three months off, a year off, whatever it is. But that's the ultimate goal is that each job should give you like some kind of retirement is how, how I interpreted it. And then there was another piece about how you should also make sure that you have like passive income. So that even when you're on the beach in Bora Bora or somewhere in Bali, you're still sort of generating some form form of income. Exactly. But how the point is, don't put off living your best life because you're waiting for this big thing at the end of the tunnel. And one of the things that stuck with me from the German guy as well was that he said that he was finally going back to Germany after two years of traveling the world. 
But mm-hmm. here's where it got really interesting is that his old company wanted to hire him back, but not in the role that he used to be at, but at a senior position. Oh. And then he was like, guess what? Everyone that I left two years ago is still exactly where I left them. So I got to live these two years, like traveling the world, meeting people, yeah, learning new languages. And then I still got to go back to my job at even a higher level than I left. And then I realized that I didn't even miss anything, you know, in the two years that I was gone because everyone I left is still right where I left them, you know, but he's completely transformed in those two years. And that stuck to me because I was like, wow, you know, how many of us just spend our years just kind of fearful of taking some leap or doing something that we really want to do because we feel like we won't be able to get back what we have now, you know? And so Mm -hmm. that keeps us where we are. But yeah. it's not, you know, we shouldn't live in that kind of fear. And so part of what I also thought about when I quit my job was that this would be a great way for me to test this thing, this um, idea of a mini retirement. So I'd actually gone as far as to look at like villas, like one of my favorite travel destinations is Bali. I think everyone loves, I don't, I don't know anyone that's ever been to Bali. It's, it's impossible not to love Bali. And so I was like, I'm going to go back to Bali. Yeah, I'm going to go back. And when I get there, I am going to just sit in a villa, maybe to learn how to do yoga and a bunch of other like sort of mindful things and all this, mm-hmm. eat a bunch of um, healthy bowls. I don't know, just organic <laughs> foods. And yeah. I really just had this idea Something in my mind. Valid. Yeah. 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 Of course. Yeah. And like maybe just wear yoga clothes like all day, like don't even pack anything else, just yoga clothes. And like, I mean, I had, I had grand plans for my retirement. And so <laughs> I was, I, I scheduled it to, so I was thinking maybe around April, May, I would do this um, because I just wanted to get some things sorted out before going to Bali for a while. And, um, but like, so yeah, back to, to this idea of me taking this time off. And so I did it with confidence, but with, you know, apprehension, rightly so, because like I said, I'd never done this before. And so the first couple of months, you know, during the day, my brain was completely in agreement. It was like, yes, we are enjoying this retirement. We are Netflixing. This is the way, okay? This is, we are, we've got it. We've unlocked, you know, we've unlocked the code here. And so (laughs) I was enjoying my life. I'm talking about massages and the Netflix and just like, what? I don't even have to set my alarm. It was like a new life. But then at night, a a very interesting thing happened at night. And so I'd be like, I'd sleep and I'd have a smile on my face. And then like around like two in the morning, I'd like wake up and my heart would be racing. It'd be like, we don't have a job. We don't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> gathering monster. Like, why are you disturbing my fantasy? <laughs> like, I'm just like, what is going, what is this? You know? And so there was a Tosin that was like so down for what this was. And we're like, uh-huh. yeah, we're so down. And then there was the other Tosin who was like the control freak that we're trying to like suppress. That's like, we need a job. And so she would just come out like, you know, when I was, when my guard was down. And so that went on for like three months where I literally was just super, super anxious, you know, at different levels of just that period. And then, you know, and so, but then at the same time, so I'm kind of weaving together a bunch of different things here. And I just hope that whoever's listening takes out something. And so every year for the past six years, I've done a vision board. And it's just something that I, I believe. I believe wholeheartedly in the magic of vision boards. And it's not even really a magic. Um, I always tell people that when your vision board is done correctly, what it is, is that it is just you living a life of purpose. I do know what a vision board is. 
partly mm-hmm. also because I stalk you a little bit, but um, <laughs> for someone that does not know, what is yeah. a vision board exactly? I know it's it kind of sounds simple, but I know it's more than that. So what is yeah. it? So vision, a vision board really is just, I would say, a collection mm-hmm. of your goals, hopes, and dreams for that year. It's what you hope to manifest in the course of a year. It's what you hope to do in the course of a year. And it's what you hope happens for you in the course of a year. So the first time I really paid attention to this idea was I was reading O Magazine. It's one of my sort of like guilty pleasures is O Magazines. And I think my mom is the reason for this because she subscribes to O Magazine. She has like a gazillion of them. And it's really, it's really good stuff in there. It's really good stuff, you know, and I know we all, Mm -hmm. you know, so Auntie Oprah is really good with that. And so she Mm -hmm. had an article about vision boards. And what I enjoyed about the article was that it talked about how a lot of us actually do our vision boards kind of in the wrong way. And so what do I mean by this? Okay. So some of us, and it's not necessarily to say that it's wrong, but perhaps this way, it's a way to, another way to consider doing it. It's to say that sometimes when we do a vision board, we are very literal. And so we'll say, oh, I want to buy a house. And so we'll flip through a bunch of magazines. And so the collection happens because you either find images that represent those dreams, visions, and hopes, or you cut them out of a magazine or you find them online, whatever, right? And so your collection is those are those images. And so she talks about how people will go in and say, oh, I'm looking to buy a house. I'm going to look for a picture of a house and literally cut it out and glue it on a piece of poster board. Or I want to travel, and so I, but I want to go to Egypt, so I'm going to look for a picture of Egypt and glue it on my board. And what she talks about in this article, uh, or who you know, this article was written by O Magazine, is that really when we are setting our visions, we should pull from our souls and our spirits, um, not necessarily our brains. And so, how does this work? It means that when you're looking for images to sort of describe whatever it is or to represent whatever it is that you hope for, let your spirit lead you instead and ask you ask yourself deeper questions. And so instead of saying, for example, I want to buy a house, so I'm just going to cut out the picture of a house, ask yourself, why do you want a house? And you could say, oh, because of the warmth that it brings, because of the joy that will be in the house, the laughter, you know, I'll be able to, yeah, like what is really, really at the core of you wanting this home? Because it's more than just the physical sort of structure, right? It's really more about what's what is going to mean for you. And so the article instead encourages us to look for images that touch on those feelings as opposed to sort of kind of the literal sense of it. And then it also talks about how as you flip through the magazines or online looking for these images, sometimes other images might jump out at you that don't necessarily maybe make sense to you at the moment, but you just know that this image grabbed you, it made you pause, you stared at it like maybe a minute too long. Mm -hmm. Something about it is drawing you. The article says, cut that out, copy and paste that, whatever it is, it'll make sense later. Yeah. It's spirit driven more than- It's spirit driven. Exactly. More so than just mind. Because sometimes our minds can get in the way. You know, sometimes our minds can really, you know, have us focusing on sometimes even the wrong things. Um, Mm -hmm. But some, but you know, our spirits know. And so, especially if you believe in, you know, being spirit led. And so I practice my visioning that way is that I've always done it in such a way where I try to pull from a deeper sort of well of feeling Mm -hmm. and thought. And so for me, I set off in 2018 with a vision board and I said, 
to myself, I have no clue what this year is going to be, to be honest. I know what I'm drawn to. I know that I really want to do something in the space that women occupy in Nigeria because mm-hmm. I just saw a lot of a lot of opportunity. I saw a lot of need. I just I just saw I saw the space for what it was that I just got excited about it. And so I knew that much. I knew that I would always want to travel. And then there were other things that I just was not sure about. But like I said, as I flipped through the magazines, I would just cut out different things that would speak to me. Exactly. And so in the center of this board for 2018 was, it just said for girls, by girls. And then there was another one that said for women. There was just a lot of that in my vision board for for last year. And so I thought, okay, you know, shrug, like, I don't know. I'm just kind of putting it out there. I don't know how it's going to happen because- the truth is, I, mm-hmm. I might, I might be in Bali the whole year. I don't even know how this is going to work, I mean, but right. I just did. I, but, <laughs> You're I already going to Bali. Yeah, I was already going to Bali, and I was just like, I don't even know, but I'm just going to do mm-hmm. it because I do it every year. And mm-hmm. so then in March or so, a contact of mine reached out and she said, "Hey, I know that you know you resigned your job, and you know maybe you're open to the next thing. I'm not sure, but I have this idea. Okay, your contacts, like." That's something I'm going to put a pin in that. So we'll just have this conversation, but we're going back to your contacts because your contacts just keep showing up. You know, it's been interesting. Like I said, I think the universe conspires with you once you put out what it is that you want, you know, Mm -hmm. and you start to set it out and you start to live like that purpose-driven life. And so what I was saying about Mm -hmm. the vision board to just kind of close that loop is that it's not Mm -hmm. so much of a magical thing. It's about you putting out visually what it is that you hope happens for you that year. And I think somewhere in our, in our minds, we start to then focus on those things. Right. And so as you go through your day, because visually now you have a roadmap, it's like, you can actually see what it is that you hope for that year. And so all of a sudden you start to say yes to the things that will get you there. And you start to say no to those things that don't get you there. And so it's kind of like a purpose-driven life, you know, it's sort of like you you have an idea of what it is. And so then you start to look out for those opportunities that are going to bring those things to you. And so that's why I say, I think it's a little less magic and just more about just living a life that's, you know, aligned with whatever it is that you have set out to do. And so for me, when I was approached and it was sort of like this idea you know, there's, there are women in tech and because I've been a woman in tech for a few years by then, I knew some of this and it was like, there are not enough women in tech and the women that are in tech are not getting any funding. Approximately only 2% of venture capital dollars globally, 2% goes to women and about 0.5 goes to women of color. It's just unacceptable. Like on so many levels, I can't even like go into that right now because it's just, it's so low, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so low. And so this, contact approached me and said, would you like to kind of just help bring this idea to life? The idea is here, but you know, we haven't really structured it. We haven't started it. We haven't executed on it. And Mm -hmm. one of my defining statements or my defining statement is that I'm a dream executor. We can talk about defining statements later, but that's, that's my defining statement. And so I help to execute my dreams. I help to execute the dreams of others and I help to execute the dreams of organizations. And so when I was approached, I thought, well, 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 ain't this funny? I was like, just as I was about to pack my bags for Bali, I am now approached with, yeah, because Bali was calling. And I was like, I've been approached by this opportunity. But you see, I knew to say yes, because I referred back to my vision board 
And it reminded Mm -hmm. me that this year was supposed to be the year of me focusing on this idea of contributing to the spaces that women occupy. And so it almost like the decision was already made for me, you know? And so I let Bali go very easily. I was just like, this is something I need to say yes to. It aligns with at least a part of my vision board. I don't know what the whole plan looks like. I don't know what the landscape looks like for the rest of the year. But at this moment, I must say yes to this. And so I said yes. And um, from there, I established and launched um, under Greenhouse Capital, um, Greenhouse Lab. And so Mm -hmm. Greenhouse Lab essentially became the first tech accelerator program but focused on women. And so women-led tech companies was what this program was focused on. Oh, and so okay. the it's so necessary, right? And so it's like, we know that we're there. We know that there are women-led companies that are having a really difficult time raising venture capital or just even getting to the mm-hmm. point where they're investment ready, you know? And so that was really the biggest part of the program was how do we get companies to become investment ready so they mm-hmm. can put their best foot forward? so that we can try to address this idea of like really low kind of fundraising numbers for women-led companies, specifically in tech. And so Greenhouse Lab was launched and um, we ended up receiving, you know, so like there were a lot of questions around, oh, how do we even know that there are like that many women-led tech companies? Like Mm -hmm. how many could there be? And quite frankly, I didn't really have the answer myself, especially within Africa or Nigeria specifically, but I thought... Something is leading me here, so I'm just going to have to see it through. Mm -hmm. And we ended up getting over 100 applications from eight different countries, including the U.S., which was really interesting to me. We ended up, like, I remember calling the the company in the U.S., and I was like, you do realize the program is in Lagos. Yeah, (laughs) Nigeria, you're going to have to spend three months, you know. And they were like, no, no, it's fine, you know. And that just goes to show you the need, you know, where even in a country like, yeah. Yeah, it was really. opportunity everywhere. Everywhere everywhere. So that's how we um, launched that. And so, and then not long after that, the program became the first powered by Google program in all of Africa. And so that was a really interesting part of my journey. Right. And so I, I, you know, I, I, I was very proud of helping to establish that with helping to put, yeah, with helping to put a face to this issue and helping to drive some conversation around sort of why this was necessary, you know? And so I did that. And then I transitioned in sort of, I want to say October, September, October of last year to the next thing. And so, so what is happening with me now is that I think I overcame one of my biggest fears in life. And one, one, you know, one of my biggest fears was sort of this idea of not being able to control what was next. So you could call them control issues. It's like sort of wanting to know what the next job is, what the next mm-hmm. calling is. Like, what am I doing next? I need to know right now before I do anything here. Because if I don't know what's next, I'm not going to move from this. Like, you know, and I think once I did the move from the U.S. to Nigeria, that was one big fear that I that I was, I, I was able to scale that fence. And then mm-hmm. I then resigned from this really awesome job that I had to go into sort of the next thing, which was I didn't know what that was. And so once you do it like twice, three times, you become a pro, you know? <laughs> and so you a pro, right? sudden, now I'm just fearless. I'm just like, okay, you know, let's just, yeah, whatever, whatever's next, let's do it. You know, what's next? I don't know. You know? <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> but you know what, Christine, the thing about it though, is, and I think that this is part of the reason why I wanted you to come on the podcast, because 
one of the things that a lot of us face, and I've had that problem in the past, and even now sometimes, it's like, you know, trying to figure out what your exact purpose is. Because mm. I think sometimes, especially because I identify with the anxiety part of, of your story in where it's like, you know, like, what yes. the hell is going? Like, you've done this, and this is like, this is your path, and this is where you're supposed to be going with things. But then, you know, you feel like you have a, a separate calling, not necessarily that it's, you know, completely different from what you're doing at that time but there's just like several pathways that have been pushing you in a direction at the same time so I, I I'm really interested in what you're saying about how how you're going into things with no fear like tell our listeners how how have you been able to embrace that I know you say that after every you know after a few of them you get used to it but from what yeah. you really great decision so it's just I'd love to know more about, you know, like why, what is it that lets you just go and lets you, that pushes you to make that decision? You know, one of the things that I, I'll talk, tell the listeners, at least from a personal experience, is that for me, I've gotten really good at just being still and paying attention to the signs around me. And I, that's been a very important part of my journey and my growth because I also know that as somebody with, you know, anxiety struggles and all of this, and also someone that self, you know, I, I call myself out um, in terms of my control stuff, but I've gotten really, really better at that. Like I'm really good now, but just control, not so much of others, but of my own like sort of trajectory. Um, trajectory. Like I always wanted to just know exactly what I was doing, how to do it. And I wanted to do it this yeah. way. And I had to let that go because I realized that really it's, it's not even true. Like we don't actually have control over like a mm. lot of things. Like, um, I mean, other than just being present and doing your best and showing up as your best self, everything mm. really is usually just out of your control beyond that has been my experience. And so I would always just put forth my intentions. Like I said, and I know it sounds a little bit very like hippie or whatever, but I would always just say, this is what I want. And I'm going to be very still and start to you know, quietly just work towards it it, using my best version, which is who I am as of today. And then I'll just see what happens. I'll see if other things come to mind, if destiny helpers show up, if other opportunities just pop up that sort of, you know, reinforce this idea or this dream that I have. Because like I said, you know, with even the move to the U.S., it wasn't like I just kind of was like, oh yeah, I'm just going to go back and quit my job. No, there was a moment of complete hesitation and fear but what I just did was I said, okay, I know I want to do this. I don't know how, but I'm just going to leave that up to the powers that be, to God, to the universe, whatever you call it, the higher power, and leave it to that. And then just start to do you know, what I'm supposed to do on my end. And so for me, it was as simple as just saying, hey, thanks for emailing me about this job. I would be interested, but I'm, I'm moving. And didn't even know what I was doing at the time was setting myself up for a job that would bring me to the, to Nigeria, you know? Mm-hmm. And so then doing that and then doing your vision board and saying, this is what I want and this is what I hope will happen. And then, but it wasn't just that, the contact that reached out to me about Greenhouse Lab was somebody that I had shared this idea with. I was like, Hey, you know, I would really love to do women focused work, impact work. So mm-hmm. I, I was speaking about it and putting it out there. And then I was just still, and I was just waiting to see if I would get sort of that reinforcement that I needed to know that this is where I needed to be. And so I think once I tested that out a few times and I realized that each time it worked and each time the net would appear after I left, 
not necessarily before, sometimes after is when the net would appear. And I started realizing like, oh, wow, this kind of just works. Like, you know, it just works. Like it's really, it's almost like foolproof. You're gingering me. Like, like I just, I just, honestly, for me, it has not filled me yet. And I'm, so that's why I'm just, and so once I tested it out once, twice, three times, and mm-hmm. each time I didn't fall on my face and each time I was able to continue to exist and the walls and the roof didn't come crashing down, I realized that all of my greatest fears were just really figments of my imagination. Like it was just the, all these fears were fears that I had like basically you know, dreamt up um, all on my own and they weren't really rooted in, in the reality. And, and so I think once that clicked for me, then mm-hmm. it became a thing of, okay, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. Like I just, like I do it, I, I do mean, it right. now because if, if it ain't broke, listen, it's working. And so mm-hmm. even when I moved on from Greenhouse Lab, I remember being like, okay, this is interesting, you know, because that was sort of like a very quick kind of, experience, but it was such a powerful experience because what it did was that all of a sudden now I started to see the opportunities that were all around me in Nigeria, because keep in mind that I hadn't really paused to, you know, to really like look around because I'd been working at this other job. And so it was sort of my, my first kind of dip in this whole pool of possibilities and what could be and where my talents could go. Mm -hmm. And, and so then I just, it just opened up this world for me. And then all of a sudden the opportunities came, you know, it was everything from being interviewed for newspaper articles to landing on the cover of something. So it happened really fast, actually. And I would like to use this opportunity to say that I hope that if anyone is thinking of moving to their home country, obviously I want you to take really good steps to do it, like, you know, leading towards it, making sure that you have a safety net that you build, like a little nest egg, all of those things, but then also just trusting whatever it is within you, because One of the things that I found out very quickly is that I felt super appreciated here more than I've ever felt in how many decades in the U.S. Like I felt that what I was contributing was actually making a difference. Like I felt that what I was focused on could actually, you know, impact lives to a degree. And I'm not sure if it's that back in the U.S. I felt like maybe the market was saturated. And so to be fair, I never quite also took some of the leaps that I've taken here in the U.S., but I just remember that I, I I wasn't sure whether I was even really needed in terms of these ideas that I had because it seemed like everyone was doing it already, you know. And that shouldn't really stop you, so it's not a, it's not a good excuse. But I just I didn't feel sort of the push that I felt when I got here, which is that I could just look around me and see again just the need and the possibilities. And I just I I left and I was like, let me do it. Um, and that's, and from, that's a valid point. Period. Yeah. General, I think for a lot of us that are here or, you know, in a foreign country, there's always that feeling. And I know you had mentioned it before about, you know, feeling like there's a ceiling on your your progress in anything that you're doing, which whatever the career is in general. There's just always that yes. feeling like there's there's a lower ceiling than when you move yes. home and you're embracing exactly. that. Exactly. You, you <laughs> so, summed yeah. it up correctly. Yeah, it's that. It's that sense of there, you felt, you feel like there's a limit. And for me, it could be anything from the color of my skin to my gender, whatever it was that I felt, you know, Mm -hmm. could be playing a role in American society. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Here, all of a sudden there were other challenges, but one of it was definitely not the color of my skin. Um, that I felt, and, and it's so amazing what, and 
you know, not to make this about, you know, race or politics, but it's, I, I have to talk about that to a degree because I feel like there was something that shifted in my mindset when I moved here was that I, I felt confident. I felt like, you know what, I can try it and I'll be given room to try it. I'll be given room to do it. I'll mm-hmm. get the support that I need. I'll be able to get the traction that, you know, um, I need if I do the work really well, you know, versus sometimes in the U.S. I would feel like even with my best work, I never knew if it would necessarily equate to, the, you know, to, to anything or the impact that I wanted. And that could be for several reasons, again. So not necessarily trying to project, you know, sort of any of my shortcomings, but to just say that there was definitely a shift in mindset for me. Something clicked for me when I moved here. And that click allowed me to then start to put a different foot forward and to sort of, you know, sort of try, like, excuse me, I'm blubbering here, but to start to kind of just put myself out there more because I just felt like whatever it is that I was offering, someone here could use it and they could use it now and it could really make a difference. Right. And so the need here is greater. Well, thank you. I'm trying to, you know, and so, so yeah, so all of those things, all of last year was a blur. So from Greenhouse Lab to speaking on the stage at Women in Africa, which, you know, my good friend Aniola Mafia recommended me for. I spoke in front of all of these dynamic women from almost all the 54 countries in Africa. It was mm-hmm. there that I, first of all, that I first spoke about the bloom. I had never spoken about the bloom out loud until that moment at Women in Africa. And it was because they said, we want to hear about your idea. And I said, yeah, well, I can tell you one-on-one because I haven't launched it yet. And they said, no, talk about it on stage. And I thought it's just an idea. I'm even, I was scared about like putting it out there because I didn't even know if it was a good idea or not. But they're like, no, 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 talk about it. Like, let's talk about it, put it out there and let's see what happens. So that was another thing that happened in my life was that, again, it's reinforcing the lesson that I keep learning over and over again, which is that- Mm -hmm put it out there, set the intention, and then watch it start to manifest. I am such a believer in this. And so Women in Africa, which was in Marrakesh in September, so not long after I transitioned from Greenhouse Lab, I was on stage at Women in Africa speaking about the bloom and the idea behind it and why I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really have, like, my website wasn't up. I didn't even have social media. Like I was just talking. Everybody was just like completely engaged. And all of a sudden I thought, Wow, I spoke about it. I said it, and I'd had this. I'd had the logo for like two years. I had actually wow. had the Instagram for about two years as well, but it was private and it was only following me because oh, yeah. I was. Because we all have those Instagrams. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just like, I don't know, like it might not work, you know. And so, <laughs> so then, but what happened again? It's magical, but then also not so magical in the sense is that I said it, but then after I said it which was important as part of the process. But then I now realize that I have said it, therefore I must act on it. And so all of a sudden, the thing that I had been sitting on for two years and I was so scared about, guess what? I had just shared it with a room full of hundreds of people and I can't come back next next year and be telling them about what I want to do. I have to have actually done it, okay? And then it went back to what was on my vision board from January, you see, because I didn't even know that Women in Africa was going to happen when I did my, my vision board at the beginning of last year, right? And so keep tying it yeah. back to that. And I, I went back to it and it was still there for women, was still right there in the middle of my vision board. <laughs> right. And case. so I was like, okay, okay, I get it. So I just did 
Greenhouse Lab. I just did Women in Africa. I just talked about the bloom. Okay, I, I see. I have seen it. It's coming together. Actually, let's and talk about the bloom. Tell us what the Bloom Africa is, because I think that's a great, great initiative, and I really want everybody to know more about it. So, what is that about? Like, I know it's for women, which is that it can never be enough. But like, yeah. So, if we go back to that piece when I started telling you my life story from when I was a little baby and on my pacifier, <laughs> when I went all the way back to the beginning. Remember yeah. I talked about being part of Delta Sigma Theta sorority and it's teaching me about sisterhood and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Really, that is the idea behind the Bloom Africa. The Bloom Africa essentially curates safe spaces and intimate engagements for women to connect to learn and grow and to help each other on this life journey, be it in our careers, our businesses, our lives. But I fundamentally believe that without women, I wouldn't be who I am today. I always say that I am a product of women. I am a product of my mother, my grandmother, my cousins, my sister, my sorority sisters, my close friends. They have been instrumental in my development. And one of the things that I encountered when I moved to Lagos was that I kept hearing this narrative um, around how, oh, women don't support each other here. You know, women are jealous. They talk about each other. They don't want you to win. They want to bring you down. And I just thought, who is saying this? Where is this happening? You know, because who are these women? Who are they? I don't, I don't mm-hmm. see them because for me, again, I have done a very, very intentional job of curating um, my space and who I'm yeah. surrounded by. And so my friends are women that lift me up, that um, encourage me on my journey that I can call and, you know, confide in. Like, they're not my haters. Like, these women are my friends and my tribe. And so I've never, and again, it's been an intentional curation, but I've always been surrounded by that. And so when I heard that narrative, when I moved here, and at that time, like I said, initially, believe it or not, the Bloom Africa was meant to be like a co-working space idea, but then it started to evolve into this thing where, (laughs) yeah, I I do too. I write still, you know, I, 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 it evolved. And I just thought, you know what? We need more, we need more sister time because this is crazy. Like if this is what's going on here, we need a Mm -hmm. new energy. And I, I maybe, you know, let me see if I can bring in some new energy because we do a lot of conferences in Nigeria, which I think is amazing. Women here, people in general here love to learn. They love absorbing knowledge. They love to go to talks. I mean, this is the, probably the only place where I've ever seen such a, I call it a conference structure where a culture rather, where people really look forward to gatherings where they can learn mm-hmm. you know, about new things. And so okay. I saw that happening, but then what the gap that I saw in that was that it's one thing to go to a conference or a large gathering, which I think is is good uh, for many reasons. But I think what it was missing um, for me was that sort of connection with with mm-hmm. that that intimate connection where you can actually yeah the intimacy where you can actually because you know you can go to these conferences and they're good for networking you can you know pass your business card around and then follow up via email but there's a different connection that happens the different networking that happens when you cry with somebody or when you yeah. tell somebody this is what I'm scared about or this is what I'm struggling when with and truth. when you share your truth there's a whole different there's there's a whole nother you know, dimension that opens up from that. And so for me, when I was pledging in in college, Delta Sigma Theta, that was one of the things that that I learned was that these women, and there were 10 of them, 
that I um, joined Delta Sigma Theta with. So there were 11 of us total and such a small number and group of women, but we knew so much about each other. We knew each other's strengths, weaknesses. We knew how to help one another. We knew who could help this person at this point and when the Mm -hmm. other person needed to come in and help this person. Like we just really depended on each other in a way that was so positive and so empowering and so fulfilling that it's always like I'm trying to recreate that and, you know, in all of my, you know, other relationships that I have, you know, on mm-hmm. and I've had moving forward. And so the bloom really is built on that idea that women should be able to gather. We should be able to drop our guard or let it down a little bit and show our vulnerability, share our truths, you know, and ask for help when we need it or offer help to others that need it. And so that really is the sort of ethos of the bloom Africa. And the way I you know, set out doing that was just to say, let's start to have these really, really amazing events, you know, small mm-hmm. scale, but beautiful, impactful, where you can just talk and just, you know, really get to know other women. And mm-hmm. then from there, I'm convinced that relationships will form, friendships will build, business partnerships will yield. This is my hope. And that, you know, that as women, we'll be able to come together as this collective under the Bloom Africa to really charge forward and to, you know, push forward what we need as women. And so that's it. And so that's what I talked about at Women in Africa. And then a few months after that. engaged in the conversation because, (laughs) like, everything makes complete sense. The idea that, you know, the community aspect of things is that to help everybody thrive and bring out whatever is the best part of themselves. I think as women in general, we require that. And it doesn't even necessarily, it's not even just the best part, but even the worst part, as in the way you thrive is by being able to identify all the facets and aspects of your personality. Of of who you are. Yep. Yep. And not to not be afraid to to talk about those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To talk about those parts that are not, great that are not yeah. perfect not- and to have women that are not going to use that against you that are going yeah. to try to say okay I see you I see where you struggle this is where I'm struggling but I see your strengths and this is where you can help me and this is where I can help you um and so and 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 I think you know also the other thing that I think is very important to talk about here is that our hashtag is well the hashtag that we subscribe to which I believe others do too is this idea of collaboration over competition, which goes back again to this idea of, you know, this narrative of, oh, women don't support one another. We're always bringing each other down. And listen, we're humans first and foremost before we are women or men or anything. And so as as humans, we will have conflict. Not every woman is going to get along. So I'm not pushing that. Um, That's not my, in in the Kool-Aid. Um, I don't think that, you know, every woman is going to be your friend or best friend, Mm -hmm. but can we operate from a place of mutual respect? Can we operate from a place of just, you know, sisterhood in general, where we say, listen, I'm not here to drag you down. You may not be, you know, who I need at this part in my journey, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to try to pull you down or that you should try to pull me down. And I think that also this idea that we're competing against one another for this and for that. It's just, it's not true for me, right? For me, what I have seen work is that when I reach out to my sister friends and I'm like, listen, I'm trying to do X, Y, Z, can I get your help? And they bring in, you know, their minds and their talents. I'm able to actually do that thing a lot faster and with a lot more success than if I did it alone. That's been my experience. Same here. I I agree completely. So that's that's how it's worked. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So again, collaboration over competition. I think we get a lot further with that. And so this journey for last year, like I said, I went from this to women in Africa. I pitched Mm -hmm. this idea. Then I started working on it. And then not long after that, Lovey reached out to me and she said, Hey, I'm coming to Nigeria with a bunch of my friends, the West African Voltrons. They're amazing. I love, I love, I love what, listen, the West African Voltrons are the blue Africa. Okay. That's just how I, that's, we, which, well, we, we get it. Okay. They They get it. I get them. Yes. Guys, for those who don't know what what that is, just honestly, just Google West African Voltrons and then check out Lovey Ajayi's page, Buzz St. John. These people are amazing. And they're just all these people that are achieving. Yvonne Orji. Yes. 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 They're achieving so much individually, but the thematic that they do together, like even like, I know Yvonne and Lovia are like super besties and they have so many businesses together. But in general, just watching, I, I stopped that whole event, which I'm going to even let you speak on. But in you are right. Jalof and Jesus and Jalof is <laughs> Yvonne and I love That's that pocket. Lovely. You know, yeah. and it's it's amazing because what like you said it already, which is that they're all high achievers in their own lanes, in their own yeah. spaces. But what they realized was that listen. Precisely because we are out here in these various industries, we actually need the support of one another, you know, especially as people of color, as people of West African descent. Yes, we need to actually bring our talents together, do business together, support one another. I mean, when I went to the live recording of Jesus and Jalof, like I saw Justina there. Justina is an executive at Apple. She had flown in from California to support her friends, Lovey. And Yvonne, and I've seen them do this for each other across different events and different platforms where they just show up for one another. Not because they're not busy or doing something, you know, that could, you know, honestly take their time. They just yeah. said, you know, with this group that we formed, we will support each other as much as we can. We will mm-hmm. do things together and all of that. And so I love that spirit. And so when she told me that she was coming with all of these women that I admire, I thought, wait, could it be? I mean, I was thinking of, could it be? Is that you? You know? And so I'm about this universe. Goodness. Listen, I'm telling you, when you set it out, when you set it out and then you start to move on faith and nothing, but I'm telling you the net appears. It just, it's there. It just, you see it once you, once you step out the boat, you know? And Mm -hmm. so for me, I was just like, this is, this will be amazing. And so I, I hit up love you and I was like, listen, Here's what I'm working on. I would love if you guys could speak at my first event, essentially. And she was like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, it was it was no question. She was just like, yeah, what, what do we need that. to do? We're down. And that's, I'm telling you this collaboration because I didn't even know all of the women at that point, mm-hmm. right? So, but they were all like, sign us up. And I thought, my gosh, I am so humbled that they're willing to sign up for this and just support me, you know, mm-hmm. with all of their busy schedules that they have going on. And so fast forward December and I am launching the Bloom Africa with Bozma, Sanjan, Justina Amokwa, Lavia Jai, Funa Maduka. Funa Maduka is an executive with Netflix. Um, she actually is doing an amazing job of telling our stories. She acquires um, stories from the continent and beyond. And so, for example, Lionheart, you know, those kinds of things are making their way to Netflix. 
because of the work of people like Funa within Hi. Netflix. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So Funa is amazing. Yeah. Justina Mokwa is, is doing amazing work at Apple. And then Lovey with her best-selling New York Times best-selling book. Um, Yes. (laughs) Yes. She's amazing. She's a great speaker. Mm -hmm. Her TED talk has like over a million views now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a really good one. Everyone should listen to that TED talk. And then of course, everyone knows superstar marketing maven, Bozma St. John. And so to have these powerhouse women, you know, at my event and for this to be my first event coming out the gate. And I couldn't have thought of better people to actually launch the Bloom Africa because they, for me, embody everything that I'm trying to push the with the Bloom saying. Africa, the message, which is that, I mean, there were tears in that room. People, I mean, Lovey Gosh, I got emotional because, yeah, she got emotional because she started to thank the women that were sitting next to her. She was thanking them. She said, without you, I wouldn't be where I am today. Without you, I wouldn't have gotten through some of my downs, you know. Without you, I wouldn't have celebrated some of my ups. And as she just got emotional, it's just like, this is the meaning of sisterhood, you know, where these women have supported one another across industries without any hint of jealousy or competition. Just, we're just trying to make the best out of each other. And so during that talk, everything they said, and there's a summary on different summaries on on the Bloom Africa's Instagram, but basically it's this idea that we as women must come together and we must help each other. And I was just ecstatic. It was like my dream come true. And that was how I ended my year last year. And I really, it was just, and this happened. So if we think back, this happened, all of these things happened. Oh, and I also got into this amazing program called Atlantic Dialogues which is an amazing, amazing program that seeks to, you know, um, identify and nurture emerging leaders from across the Atlantic Basin, which is, you know, Africa, Latin America, the U.S. And so I was in this room in December with all of these brilliant minds. And mm-hmm. and then I was voted as one of the people to speak on behalf of my cohort at the closing plenary. And I just remember thinking, all of this happened after I quit my job. Thank goodness. All of this happened when I took the leap, like when I, when I overcame fear. So then no one can say anything to me now because it is, I honestly believe in the saying that says everything that's amazing happens outside of your comfort zone. Like I am a true believer of that now. It is my gospel. It is what I preach. And I understand that it is very scary. And that's why I had to kind of detail my journey a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, f- to show that it wasn't necessarily this smooth, oh, I'm just here and I got it and I figured it out and I just woke up one day mm-hmm. and made all these mm-hmm. decisions. It wasn't that easy, but what I found is that it was worth it. It was worth it to fight through the fear. It was worth it to take some measured risks and then some big yeah. risks, just taking them. And it was worth it to just believe in what's driving you. And I, so I think you asked me about this idea of purpose, you know, and mm-hmm. I think for me, one of the things, and so we did a, the Bloom also had a talk at Social Media Week about finding your purpose. And there were so many things that I learned from that session, not just from sharing my own story, but then also listening to the, the speakers I had invited um, to speak mm-hmm. on it, to share what they had um, to say about it. And one of the things that I found that is true is that your passion, you can choose your passion, right? So you can choose... Yeah to be passionate about 
Real Housewives of Atlanta, you know, for me, I watch, you know, I, I'm, I'm just saying, y'all know, I, I spend a lot of time watching really ratchet TV. I'm passionate about that. But... <laughs> so I spend, you know, yeah, you, I, they can, you know, I could choose them. I could choose to say, you know, today I'm really into avocados and tomorrow I'm going to be really into cauliflower. <laughs> but your purpose chooses you. Yeah. And you can't, you can't like shake it. You know, you try to, you know, you, you, it's not something you just move on from the way you would and say, oh, you know, I'm not into those TV shows anymore. I'm not into needlepoint anymore. I don't want to knit or, you know, do this anymore. It's not like that. It's, it's something that just keeps you up at night. It's it something eats. that you see in, in everything. It eats at you. You're constantly mm-hmm. just like, it's, it's everywhere you look. It's, you know, it speaks to you. And so that's the first thing. And I think and so your passions can change over time. Your purpose tends to remain a little bit constant, but your passions can lead you to your purpose, right? And so I, I made a joke about sort of like the righteous TV and all that stuff. But again, when you think about the idea that I said I was passionate about sisterhood and I was passionate about my sorority and the women I met there and my friendships, then it's not a surprise that I've somehow landed where I am, which is yeah. in this space where... I am really working hard to promote and push a narrative around women that, you know, sort of brings sisterhood into it and brings in how we can support each other's businesses and ventures and, and lives. And, and that that's clear because you've seen sort of my my passions have been public service. It's been sisterhood. Mm-hmm. It's been giving back. It's been so I'm that's not surprised that I'm now where. Yeah. So that's how my passions has kind of led me to this point. And I think also to understand that purpose is not necessarily sexy and it does require some level of sacrifice at some point. And so your passion may not necessarily require those things, but your purpose usually always will. And so for me, I found that I wouldn't have come to this realization if not for some of the risks that I've taken, some of the places that I've moved on from, some of the things that I've applied to, some of the things that I've launched has just been because I had to do it, but it wasn't necessarily easy. I've been stressed. I've been scared, you know, I've been anxious, you know, and, and, but I just felt like I had to keep going. And that's how I knew that it was something that was just within me to do. It wasn't something that was just passing by. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 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 And then I think really one of the really important things that I want to also talk about is that the people that have been around me that have supported my purpose and help to fan my passions along the way, you know, have been very critical people that have made me feel like this idea is worth, is worth it. You know, like when, like I said, when my friend Enyola Amafe introduced me to women in Africa, for which I am now an ambassador, which is another amazing thing, by the way, everyone should Google women in Africa. If you're of African descent, African or in the diaspora, women in Africa, which um, is hosted in, um, well, at least this year, once again, in Marrakesh, is a phenomenal program and a phenomenal platform that's being built out on behalf of women, like I said, across Africa and the diaspora. And I think they're doing an amazing job. So look, look them up. But yeah, so that opportunity where I got on stage and where women like basically just wanted to hear the idea and then validated the idea and they were like, go for it. And then the women that agreed to speak at my launch that were like, you, we can do this for you. Let's do it. I mean, these are all part, listen, it's part of the journey. It's part of the story. Yeah. It's part of the success. And so Deep I cannot, it's mm-hmm. amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. You need all of those pieces. And so if you could, I know that there's no magic answer here because one thing that I always hear, and I've actually gotten, I'm not even bullshitting here. The question always mm-hmm. comes up about 
how do you find your friends or how do you find your tribe? How do you build it? Because I'm also blessed with a very solid mm-hmm, mm-hmm. backing of friends. Like my friends, my sister. You do have amazing friends. You do yeah. have amazing I really friends. Do. I could literally could dedicate a whole episode to, you know, just gushing about my I think my, you should. I think squad. you should. Yeah, they're amazing. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. but that's the thing. And I know it's not something that, you know, happened overnight. It's something that's gone mm-hmm. through exactly what you said with sharing your truths and being able to be vulnerable with someone because at the end of the day, you're not holding anything back because everybody's there to build and it's always Mm -hmm. very beneficial. But I was going to ask you because you are tribe goals as well. What Um, if you tell someone (laughs) they're looking out for, like looking to build their own tribe? Because I feel like it's never too late. There's nothing like no, there's nothing like no old, no new friends or whatever Drake was saying. I'm so glad you said that because I was going to start with that. Yeah. I was going to start with that because when I moved, I had built up my tribe in the U.S. I was solid, you know, because I'd been there most of my life. And so my friends from college, my friends from New York, my friends from mm-hmm. D.C., oh my gosh, we were so good. And then moving to Nigeria was like, it totally threw me off in a way, you know, and I was mm-hmm. blessed where I had some friends that I met here that were already living here. But okay. the truth is that I also had to make new friends and it wasn't the easiest thing because like you pointed out, there was this, this idea of like, how do we make new friends? Are we even supposed mm-hmm. to make new friends at this point? Like, how does that work? Um, how- yeah. Like, how does this, how does this work? It actually was one of the pain points for me in my, in my journey was how to rebuild my social circle at this point in my life, you know, and in this new city. And what I found out is that it's always about the quality and not the quantity. And that's just the truth. And so for me, you know, not to bring up any, I'm basically, so any and I, and I were like basically obsessed with each other. So that's my sister friend. And I, like I saw her every, I saw her every <laughs> month last year for like four months. And then this year I haven't seen her. So maybe that's why her name is coming up. But he is one of those bridges and those connectors that knows everyone. And it's mm-hmm. always good to have a friend like that. that just like is plugged in, knows people. And she's one of those people. And so when she found out I was moving, even though she wasn't living here either at the time and still isn't, but she would come here a lot for work. And so she had a a huge professional network and others that she knew. And she was like, yeah, well, let me introduce you to some of my friends. And I was like, okay, you know, I guess it's a good place to start, you know? And so, and so she introduced me (laughs) to some of her friends. Yeah. I was like, you know, I got to start somewhere. And what I just told myself was be open-minded, you know, be open-minded because it's not easy um, making friends at a certain age, but just if you can get yourself to be open-minded, you'll find that it's totally worth it. And so I was able to connect with a few of Annie's friends who are now my friends and they're just great. And honestly, I think it's because of the way that I've already chosen my friends from the foundation is why I was then able to get introduced to others that were also similar yeah. to the friends that I already have. Right. So that's sort of how it works. And so you meet one solid friend, you're a good friend to them, and then you meet their friends. Well, the chance, the likelihood that they're going to be friends with people that are kind of like you is higher than not. It doesn't always work like that, but there is a good chance that somewhere in there, you're going to find people that are like you because there's a reason why both of you are friends as well. Right. And so I was able to find others that were sort of, that were able to connect on that level, but Mm -hmm. my circle remains small. And strategically so. 
I think that, again, for me, and it's not anything like, oh, you can't sit with us or whatever, because that's not happening. Anyone can sit with me. But (laughs) it's just because, honestly, I am a lazy friend. So I, (laughs) I, uh, I'm, I'm I'm such an introvert and people don't realize that, but I really love my alone time. I love my apartment. Mm-hmm. I love traveling alone. I like doing a lot of things alone. And so I've never really been someone that needed tons of friends ever really. But so my, my circles have always been small for that reason, not because of any other reason. But I also think that my small circles have benefited me greatly in terms of me then being able to invest in them without being burnt out, right? Because they're small and because I'm lazy. And so, so that I'm able to invest in my friends um, to a level that, that I think is suitable for all parties involved. I, I could definitely do better to my friends that are listening. I know I owe you WhatsApp messages that I have not responded to their phone calls Repeat. that I need to people I need to call back. DMs that I haven't replied to, I know, but I love you guys because you continue to take me as I am and you love me anyway. And I love you too. And so that's, those are the kind of friends that I have. Where <laughs> I'm just we don't demand, we don't, <laughs> we don't demand much of each other. We accept each other. We pick up where we left off always. That's been the biggest sort of, I, I guess, highlights of all of my friendships is that I'm able to always pick up where I left off with them. And so that allows them to be long-term relationships. That allows them to be relationships that have been built over years where we've both built equity in one another, right? And so love my sister friends, love my tribe. But I do think that, you know, for those folks that are trying to still build their circles, be open-minded. Don't look at it from a standpoint of age either, because I don't, I tend to be friends with people who I just connect with. I can be friends. I can be really close friends with somebody that's much older or much younger than me. So again, it goes back to that open-mindedness. And then also making sure that you surround yourself with really good people. And I think that as women, sometimes we tend to be nurturers and we tend to be sort of really good at just taking care of everyone around us. But we also sometimes have to take care of ourselves. And that includes taking care of our energies and our spaces. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is Engage with people that make you feel good about yourself. Engage with people that drive you towards Mm -hmm. your purpose. Engage with people that encourage you and support you. And so if you have friends that are not any of those things, that are not helping you grow, that don't support, and again, you know, don't look at this from just your own lens. It has, because sometimes I think as humans too, we're like, you don't support me, but then maybe they do and you don't, right? So Again, think about what you're giving in exchange for what you're getting. It should be a value exchange. And you need to, you know, think about what your relationships are to you. And I'm not saying that it should be transactional at all. I'm just saying that your your relationships should bring about growth and improvement in your life. They should inspire you. They should, you know, just make you bloom. And so choose your friends in that way. Choose friends that light you up. And if they don't light you up, if they make you sad, if they upset you, then maybe you should reassess, you know, a couple of things around that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Take a good look at that and think about how you could do better with that, you know. And um, and so for me, it's always been about choosing the right people, not the number of people, and then mm-hmm. investing in those relationships to the best of my ability. And then I think being open-minded and last but not least, accepting each other for who we are and highlighting each other's strengths and helping with each each other's uh, weaknesses, I think has been sort of my formula to just really good friendships. So 
there's just so much <laughs> to learn from this episode, guys. Like, trust me, I'm personally gendered. I feel like I'm ready to take. I don't on. know what I don't know what it is you got to do, but whatever it is that you're thinking of doing, I'm think about to, it. Pray, I, just do it. Do I'm it. generally a leaper in general. The net appears. It will appear. It and appears. I so I don't even know how it's already been 19 minutes that we've been speaking. So oh, has <laughs> it been a whole hour to add? And a half. I hope you'll be able to edit this because I don't know if people want to hear me talking for an hour and a half. So maybe we can get to the I'm good sorry. part I don't at the end. Know if I, edit. <laughs> I do not know if I can edit this because this is just brilliance from beginning to end. And I really appreciate oh, you coming thank on. Thank you. Okay. So thank really, you for inviting me. Of course. This is, I needed this. This is obviously, I think this was a selfish thing because I needed this kind of inspiration. So I'm glad I'm so that you put it all. You are completely right in terms of you know building the tribe taking the leap and even your story from here but here being america that back to nigeria and being able to just you know take that leap and facilitate your dream has mm-hmm. it's really impressive and i hope and I, i'm actually convinced that somebody is going to listen to this and find that inspiration to do what they need to do so before do it. I let yeah. you we're going to just do some really quick fire things. First things first. So what what mm-hmm. do you envision your 2019 being? We already have we're already in April. <laughs> I know. First yes. quarter is over already. First quarter is over. So what do you envision happening for Tosi as the individual and the bloom and everything else? Because as uh, I as I've been there's a lot going on at the same time, which is great. My vision board is looking real lit this year, I must say. So we did that. We did that with the Bloom Africa as well, where I was so happy. Some people that were there had never done a vision board before. And they're already manifesting some of the things that they put on those boards. They've been sharing it with me. It's amazing. It's just mind-blowing how well things work out for us when we start to live on purpose and manifest. Exactly. And so for me, this year is looking like it's going to be a year of focusing on one myself. And so I'm trying to pace myself a little bit more this year. I have to admit that last year was a whirlwind. Um, (laughs) A lot happened all at once. I didn't even have a public Instagram until last year. So all of this, Uh, uh, that's just a little piece of info. I was just like, I started my whole public Instagram. I started meeting people. I started Listen, I started speaking on stages. I I did a lab. I went in Africa. A lot happened last year. Launched the bloom. And so this year is more about I've planted some of these seeds now. And then just I'm going to just spend this year quietly nurturing them in different ways. And so I'll continue to pour into the bloom Africa. We're going to keep having more events. I am going to be starting a sort of a new phase of it, hopefully um, this year as well, that's going to focus on young girls. I'm really super excited about that because I think that as women, we can talk amongst ourselves, but we also need to speak with the young girls, but we have to be able to talk to them in the way that they can relate to us. And I kind of think I may have a little bit, you know, of talent in that area. I got so many young girls right now that I, that are waiting for me to hopefully um, start this program. And so I'm hoping that that takes off this year as always travel will always be part of my years. Um, So I've already done a couple. I did Egypt. I did Morocco. I did the Gambia. Still need to Bali, so. <laughs> yeah, so I still got to find my way back to Bali. And so there's going to be more travel this year. 
And then there's going to be more of just me putting in into the space that women occupy, like I keep saying. And so that will happen in the work that I continue to do right now. I am um, consulting on a number of projects uh, for private companies as well as public companies. And so I've always done that for years now, but doing that so that I'm able to have a bit more flexibility as I think of the next move, which based on the story that I just told today, I'm excited about it. I don't know what's next in terms of the next big thing, but all I know is that it's always worth it. It's always good. And so my job is just to continue to show up as my best self to continue to do what I do and then just see what happens next. And so the year is going to be interesting and I'm looking forward to it. One thing we're sure of is that whatever it is, it's going to be amazing because you are a proven success in terms of going oh, in and doing thank it. You. And thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's been a great journey. Watching you. <laughs> this but, has been uh, great. Okay, so let the listeners know where they can find you. Okay, so the Bloom Africa, we are on Instagram at the Bloom Africa, and there we're sharing content, we're sharing events that we're having. Most of them for now are taking place in Nigeria, but um, watch out because, again, part of the Bloom's agenda is to build bridges between Nigeria, Africa, and the diaspora. And so, like I said, Women in Africa is coming up soon in June. We'll probably do something there. Uh, that'll be taking place in Morocco. And then throughout the year, I hope to find ways to connect with those in the diaspora. So if there's anyone that's listening that would love to partner on an idea or talk about anything, drop us a note at the Bloom Africa. Our website is www.thebloomafrica.com. And then my personal Instagram is just my name, Tosin Toye. And i um, looking forward to connecting with more people on there and just talking about our ideas and purpose and passion and just getting it, getting it, getting it. So yes, looking getting forward it. to hearing from folks. <laughs> yeah. Hi, guys. Okay, so we ran out of time on this episode, but wasn't I right? She's amazing. All that knowledge. I hope you guys got something out of it because I definitely did. Thank you so much again, Tosin, for stopping by the Perfect Podcast. You guys can check her out at the links I've included in the description. Have a great week, guys. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Perfect Podcast. For more real-life inspiration, visit our website at perfect.com.